Section 5 of Unknown London. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Unknown London by Walter George Bell. Chapter 5 The Doomsday Book. 1. What is the name of the mansion? 2. Who held it in the time of King Edward? 3. Who now holds it? 4. How many hides are there? 5. How many teams in domain of the tenants? 6. How many villains, boarders, slaves? 7. How many freemen, soakmen? 8. How much wood, meadow, pasture? How many mills, how many fisheries? 9. How much has been added, or taken away? 10. How much was the whole worth? How much is it worth now? 11. How much had or has each freeman or soakman there? All this is to be given in triplicate, that is, in the time of King Edward, when King William gave it, and at the present time. 12. And if more can be had than is had? These questions are twelve in number, and with them William the Conqueror's commissioners spread over the land, and from the answers given was compiled the Doomsday Book. I much doubt if the stern king himself ever looked into these pages of remarkable penmanship. He had reigned twenty years in England, when, at the Salisbury Gemote at Michaelmas 1086, it was made known that the inquiry was complete leaving, one may suppose, the vast work of digestion and arrangement still to be done. In the following spring, an invasion of his territories required the conqueror's presence in Normandy. As he rode through the flaming streets of Mantz, a fall from his horse hastened his end, and he was borne to the tomb in the cathedral at Caen, which is sought, I boldly say, by more travelled Englishmen, many more, than seek his great survey in Chancery Lane. Quite characteristic of English indifference to our historical monuments is the fact that the Doomsday Book should be lying in the city of London, in a public place, accessible to all without charge, and at no more trouble than is required by signing one's name, and nobody sees it, or even can tell where it is. From the nobodies I accept all historians and antiquaries, and dull people like myself given to moments of sly enjoyment in company with the dusty records of centuries long since dead, travelling Americans, who underline doomsday in their guide-books, before losing sight of Nantucket Point and facing the open Atlantic. By chance a few others, but those very few. Yet it is not a long journey to Chancery Lane, nor is the hazard great, to the public record office, wherein the doomsday book is kept, and any weekday afternoon between the hours of two and four will serve. The attendant at the Record Office Museum, suppressing a yawn, will be glad to see you. At least he has always gladly welcomed me, as a rare specimen of the Englishman so seldom to be found there. No doubt the indifference is largely due to want of announcement, for the Record Office Museum, with Doomsday and a thousand other historical documents of surpassing interest, Trafalgar and Waterloo dispatches, 
guy fawkes confession under torture the papal bull which made our kings defender of the faith and what not else does not advertise it seems being governmental ashamed to herald its existence that is our government way the travelled englishman does not go into chancery lane finding it too near at hand there are two doomsday volumes the large book and the small book they lie open under glass tempting interpretation but the dull edge of your little remembered school latin breaks against this text until familiarity has been won with the excessive contraction that is practised in every word not in the latin alone but also in the saxon and norman terms that are used to signify measures if being thus warned you think your learning still fresh enough for the test take this passage from doomsday and translate it for me into running english i have reproduced it from the manuscript as well as my unskilled hand allows note here is appended a photograph of a page of medieval handwriting End note. what object weighed with the conqueror in compiling doomsday none now can tell the great survey has surprisingly little history and almost all that is known of it is drawn from the book itself the accident that has preserved what is believed to be a full transcript of the original returns of several of the cambridgeshire hundreds alone has given to us the questions asked much also is suggested by a study of the exon doomsday once kept at exeter and therefore so called which contains a copy of the original returns of the five western counties and by comparison of the contents of the separate volumes of doomsday itself all this i allow is solid fare muckle thought and deep speech with his wise men king william had before he determined thus to map out the values of the whole area of england that acknowledged his sway this at least we know that the step excited shuddering fear and grave suspicion among his english subjects and not unreasonably they knew their ruthless master none better they were fearful lest the inquiry should forebode new encroachments upon english liberties and yet further confiscations from the people it is written plain as day in the brief mention made by a nameless scribe in the saxon chronicle whom i quote below after this the king had muckle thought and deep speech with his wise men about this land how it was set and with what men then he sent his men over all england into each shire and let them find out how many hundred hides were in that shire or what the king had himself of land or cattle in those lands, or what rights he ought to have in the twelve month from that shire. Also he let them write how much his archbishops had, and his bishops, and his abbots, and his earls, and, though I tell it longer, what or how much each man had that was land sitting in England, in land or cattle, and how much it was worth. So very narrowly did he let them spire it out, that there was not a hide nor a yard land, nor it is shameful to tell though he thought it no shame to do so much as an ox or a cow or a swine was left that was not set down in his writ and all these writs were brought to him afterwards the royal officers spread themselves over the country armed with supreme powers no mitred abbot lord of vast lands with key to heaven and hell no bishop no priest should hold himself exempt from their inquiry 
no baron be so formidable that he should dare refuse answer to their summons nor was any man too humble to bear his testimony if it was required it was the king's command they bore which all should obey their work being accomplished the royal officers embodied its results in the volumes of doomsday written on the parchment with black ink and often with red initials and interlines and business-like without ornament then they disappear they did not attach their names they are unknown but from documents of a later date we regain the styles and names of a few it was remigius bishop of lincoln henry of ferrars walter gifford and adam fitzhubert brother of udo the steward who came to inquire into the counties of worcester and other neighbouring with the conqueror's writ and the bishops of winchester and cotance headed the doomsday commission for cambridgeshire and the east midlands all men of weight learned with the little learning that was attainable in the eleventh century they went into the town of the shire and the county called together the great shire moot and the county court and read the royal writ clothing them with authority the sheriffs attended officers of the king's own lands the barons who held their lands direct from the king and their french subtenants all those who owed suit to the hundred moot and the priest the reeve and six villains from every vill and these upon oath gave the information the commissioners required a jury was impanelled to take the evidence thus the inquiry proceeded hundred by hundred each hundred providing its separate jury the questions asked i have already given a careful analysis by mr round of the names of the cambridgeshire jurors has led him to the conclusion that one half of them were norman and the other half were english conquerors and conquered were alike bound by their common sworn verdicts the impartial justice with which the inquiry was administered stands out conspicuously evident to the most casual observer first come the holdings of the king himself then those of the churchmen and religious houses then those of the barons and following in order the lands of women of the king's sergeants of the few english thanes who retained land and so forth the royal officers questioned and the scribes wrote down the description of each separate estate they gave the measure of each how many hides of land it contained what plough-land what meadow and pasture what woods what fisheries what number of men and ox-teams it supported what tax it paid often as might be anticipated in a turbulent age and so soon after the wholesale confiscations which attended the conquest of england they found rights disputed these they reported the royal officers held no powers as lawgivers to do justice between the baron and the weaker neighbour whose land he had wrongfully seized to recompense the layman despoiled of his possession by the church or to decide as often the merits of disputes between churchmen themselves their authority was limited to inquiry and report and so they were content impartially to write down the disputed titles to land the clamours often in separate sections treating the people of each race alike leaving it to others to decide wherein the right lay county by county the inquiry was made complete as the royal officers travelled in separate parties from one to another 
Its results are contained, as already said, in two volumes, the great and the small, and the belief has been held that the larger volume was compiled first, its companion, much less exquisite in penmanship and somewhat confused in order, seems at first glance to have been more carelessly done, perhaps after the king's death. The small volume contains the returns of three East Anglian counties. Modern study has substantially agreed that this arrangement must be reversed, and has assigned to the small volume the earlier date. For one thing, it contains much detail not to be found in the larger book. It gives a census of livestock in the three eastern counties it surveys, Essex, Suffolk, and Norfolk, assisting to make quite a vivid picture of farm life in England so many centuries ago. What numbers of hackneys, oxen, sheep, swine, and goats, even hives, then so valuable for sugar, each estate supported, this information is not preserved for the rest of England. In Suffolk the names of individual freemen are given. There is much to suggest that the small volume is practically a complete copy of the original returns. Carried out for all of England on this scale, the work would have bulked large, being inconvenient for reference. Perhaps a word fell from the king that his interests were purely fiscal, and would as well be served by a simpler plan. Whatever the cause, the scope of Doomsday has undergone alteration. Some part of the information which the commissioners had been at such pains to collect was not judged worthy of preservation, and the result is that the large volume, as compared with the small, is boldly statistical, arid in its contents, and of considerably less interest. How full is the picture drawn of East Anglia, an extract from the survey of Essex will show. These are the lands of Robert Grinnow at Rainham in the hundred of Chafford. Renaham, which was held by Alward as a manor, and as three J. Hydes, is held of Robert by Robert, then four villains, now five, then and afterwards six boarders, now four, then two serfs, now none then as now two ploughs on the domain then the men had between them two j ploughs now one then three rounces and fourteen beasts and six swine and one hundred sheep now four rounces and eleven beasts and twenty-four swine and eighty sheep and twelve hives of bees it was then worth six pounds and when received the same it is now worth four pounds and one hide was held by one free man, who afterwards forfeited it because he committed theft, and it was in the king's hands. But Robert Lassivus seized it, as the hundred court testifies. Then one plough was there, afterwards and now none. It is worth now as then twenty shillings. This is held of Robert by the same Robert. Note. Mr. Rounds's translation in the Victoria County History of Essex. End note. Or again, take this land of Ranulph Peverell in Essex, Peverell of London, a French baron, whose power is indicated by the large numbers of lands he held in the eastern counties. Hundred of Rochefort, Rochford, Legra, Lee, which was held by one free man as a manor and as one hide is held by Ranulph in Domain. Then, as now, two villains and two boarders, and one plough on the Domain, 
and half a plough belonging to the men, and five boarders by the water, who hold no land. There is pasture for one hundred sheep. Then one rouncey, five cows, five calves, and one hundred sheep. Now two rounceys, four cows, five calves, and a hundred and three sheep. It was then worth forty shillings, now one hundred. Look back half a dozen pages. This account above, of the land of Ranulph Peveril in Lee, is a translation of the Latin passage there set out, Hund de Roquefort, Legra, Tenand, etc. Alunid, a woman, we hear of curiously. She had lands in Buckinghamshire, which the Earl Godric gave her to hold, so long as he should be Earl, stipulating that she taught his daughter the craft of embroidery. England was not all conquered. Doomsday takes no cognizance of the northwestern counties above Cheshire, save that a part of Lancashire is grouped with Cheshire, and the Furness district, the south of Westmoreland and a border area of Cumberland, are similarly linked with the west riding of Yorkshire. This is sufficiently explained by the fact that the area left uncharted, so remote from King William's seat of authority in the south, was not brought under the crown until the next reign. The omission of Northumberland and Durham is less easily accounted for, though it may well be that the wasting of the lands there by the merciless hand of the conqueror, the repeated inroads by the Scots, and the vengeance taken by Odo for the murder of Bishop Walcher in 1080, had left a wilderness with very little worth the trouble and hazard of surveying. It is doubtful for other reasons if the inquiry really was complete. London is not included in Doomsday. It is not mentioned except by the association of certain lands outside its area. There is an engaging mystery about a leaf left blank before the Middlesex Doomsday opens. Was it intended for the missing survey of London, an intention which has never been fulfilled? Chester, Bedford, Oxford, and other boroughs, which give their names to shires, lead off the returns for those shires. The London survey might have told so much that we are left wanting. But the royal city of Winchester, and Bristol, Wells, and some others are not returned. They were rich and populous with the small populations of those days. What reason can one assign why they should purposely have been ignored? The craftsmanship is not always perfect. Mr. Ballard, Doomsday Inquest, has pointed out that the Oxfordshire survey was completed before discovery was made that the lands of William Fitz Ansculf and Hascoius Musard in that county were omitted. Accordingly, these lands were written in, Ansculf's on the marginal space at the foot of one page, and the account of Musard's property stretches across the feet of two other folios. The Oxfordshire estates of the Bishop of Coutance have somehow slipped into the Northamptonshire doomsday. Omitted lands have occasionally been entered on the side margins. There are marginal references to others for which additional sheets have been inserted in the book. A marginal note indicates that something is still to be ascertained, as at Hustedone, Erk quit terra, inquire how many lands. The Doomsday Book was written at Winchester, where for a century it was kept with other exchequer records there, then was removed to Westminster, probably in Henry II's reign. It was for long safeguarded in the chapter house. 
and since 1857 it has been the most precious object of a priceless collection of manuscripts at the public record office in Chancery Lane. Admission free, let me once more emphasize, between two and four o'clock afternoons, and all are welcomed. Where it is little known and entirely neglected by the great unheeding public of the metropolis, of the many problems which the doomsday presents, the greatest is still the most elusive. Why was the survey ordered? The title might have informed. It has no title. Such reference to itself, as is borne on the parchment pages, is merely a writ, breve, and a survey, descriptio, a description. Later times coined for it the word doomsday, the day of judgment, which seems to have been in use as early as the reign of Henry the Second. Like the sentence to be pronounced on the dreaded last day, this was a judgment from which there was no appeal. The courts of law would listen to no questioning of its authority. In centuries when rarely was found a man who could read or write, an almost superstitious reverence grew up for and clothed the authority of Doomsday. The robed judge, seated high above the throng in court, found in the leathern-bound volumes the decision which was unalterable, as if taken from the book of fate. Ostensibly, Doomsday is a taxing book, a record of the taxable resources of the kingdom, setting out the extent of the cultivable land, what portion each man holds, what it was worth in King Edward the Confessor's time, what it was worth when King William gave it, what worth at the time of the survey, and significant of its preponderatingly fiscal nature is that last question asked of the jurors, and if more can be had than is had. The king sought to obtain an accessible record of the holdings in land of his subjects, that he might tell without delay what sum a tax imposed would bring into the royal treasury. Each shire and county is set out separately, the record of each is prefaced by a list of names of the holders of land, forming an index. With Doomsday at his hand, the king could send out instructions to his officer at the different centres, and the tax be speedily collected. He could compare the return with the sum which ought to result, and see what persons were remiss in payment. As a taxing instrument, Doomsday is admirably designed though lacking the summaries and digest found so useful to-day. Obviously, too, it might serve many other purposes, and it remains a moot question which one was uppermost in the conqueror's mind when he decided to take the great survey of his kingdom, which so set his subjects by the ears. This the learned have hotly disputed. It has been represented by ancient chroniclers that the reason for the survey was that every man should be satisfied with his own right, and not usurp with impunity what belonged to another. One fears they little knew King William to attribute to him so beneficent a purpose. Later scholars have found in Doomsday a preparation for war. They visualize it as a muster-roll of the nation a record which should place in the king's hands the names of all those who held lands under liability for military service, and an estimate of the followers whom each should bring in his train, the war tax which each estate should bear, the quantity of supplies for the army it could provide. If that be the purpose, Doomsday is a pitiless revelation of the devastation wrought by the conquest. 
it has been estimated that the total population shown by doomsday did not exceed two hundred and seventy thousand families oxford in the confessor's time was a town of seven hundred twenty one houses in that of king william it had shrunk to a hamlet with only two hundred forty three poor dwellings york under the confessor contained sixteen hundred seven houses they had been reduced in number to nine hundred sixty seven by the slaughter of the people in revolt and waste of the country others again have pointed out a wide diversity of objects that doomsday was well calculated to serve one it would give the king exact knowledge of the extent of his own estates in each county and the income that should be derived from them thus acting as a check upon his officers two it would tell the king if his gifts had reached their destined recipients if any magnet had encroached upon less powerful neighbors were there english who had retained possession of their lands without his consent three would provide the king with exact clues as to the personal nexus of the different tenements four would enable his exchequer to tell what men were liable to pay tax and what the amount of each man if each man was fairly assessed and if not what was fair assessment five it was a register to which those whose title was disputed might appeal the greatness of the conception of doomsday and remarkable for its accomplishment at so early an age is that it should have efficiently served not one but all these purposes many are the people who with childlike ignorance of doomsday's scope and unbounded faith in its authority have turned to it for what it does not contain the classic instance is that of samuel pepys who wrote in his diary for twenty first december sixteen sixty one there i spoke to mr falconbridge to look whether he could out of doomsday book give me anything about the sea and the dominion thereof End of chapter 5